0: Good morning, morning. it's lovely to see everyone on what is our last vacant Sunday, hallelujah. Friends I'm struck as this is read for us of those words of of Joshua before the commander and he was told to take off his sandals for you are on holy ground, it's how words like this of Romans 6 strike me just like last week statement after statement after statement we could preach months through this passage alone we're not going to do that we're going to get through this in a morning the weather's been nice this week hasn't it it's been marvelous and with nice weather comes lots of choices what am I going to wear is it going to rain later It's always the question, do I need a jacket or not? Even if it's 27 degrees, we're still asking ourselves that question. Shall we have a barbecue? Shall we eat it inside or outside? Outside sounds nice, but then we remember all the midges that are here, so we come back inside and we don't actually ever eat outside, or at least that's what we did this week. But for a toddler like our Benjamin, the most significant question of this week is stood in front of the ice cream counter. What flavour am I going to have so, as he stands in front of how many we 're talking 20 flavors, bouncing up and down at all this ice cream in front of him, we come to two: blueberry and bubblegum, one of a slightly scary fluorescent blue kind of color, but blueberry won for him. But of all those choices, there was two options for our little Benjamin as to what ice cream flavor he was going to pick. so we 're thinking this morning about twos about choices and about options of which there are two. This is simply where we're going this morning. There are only two masters, and we are either enslaved to sin that results in eternal death or slaves to Christ resulting in eternal life. So we'll recap last week, the first two verses of Romans 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound. By no means, how come we who have died to sin still live in it? Last week, we were looking at, we were beginning to understand that, that we cannot continue in sin because we are dead to it. We've, we were given this wonderful illustration of baptism, weren't we? This, this idea that as we are plunged into the pool here, so too we are dead to sin. We die to sin, we are alive in Christ. We're dead then to the eternal effects of sin. Sin no longer has a hold on us. It no longer has any authority over us. Therefore, we cannot allow sin to reign in our bodies any longer. And this question is asked from somebody whose desire is to avoid the work of holiness, to avoid the work of Christian living. Can't I just do what I want and it's a question that we all face because let's face it sin is fun sin is enticing we run into temptations that overwhelm us and at times we're confronted with that feeling if we're really honest of ah, just once more why not after all I'm not going to hell because of this if I just do this once more what does it really matter My salvation, everything that that, that is assured within me rests solely upon the Lord Jesus and not on me. I know God's not going to reject me because I'm a good Protestant and I understand that salvation is is by grace through faith alone. The law doesn't condemn me any longer. I'm no longer under the law. God is love and all that. So what does it really matter? I can be forgiven. I can be restored. So why really care? Why not just give in and enjoy a sin or two? See, Paul starts this by knowing that our first desire is to serve ourselves. That our first desire is to live for ourselves to ensure that our own interests are met. He knows that we will do whatever we can to try and twist the truth to benefit ourselves, to justify it. And I think it's one of the dangers we have with Christian liberty or the freedom of conscience, is that if we do not have a firm biblical foundation shaping our ethics and our lifestyle choices, we will do everything we can to justify our sin. Everything. We'll even try and tell God. And we jump then to our verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? The second objection is saying, okay, so now we're dead to sin and now now we're alive. Surely I can just keep on going because I'm now a person of grace. I'm not a person of law. I don't sit under the old covenant and the condemnation that it brings to an unbelieving Gentile, but rather I am safe in the hands of, of the Lord, And we have then the second picture. We had last week's picture, which was baptism. And this week's picture is of slaves, sort of servants. Those obedient to their master. Everyone, even us, before we were saved, before we came to know the Lord Jesus, were servants of sin. Yet when we come to know the Lord, we are now servants of righteousness. We were once dead to God. But now through the work of the Holy Spirit, we are alive in Christ. And therefore able, though poorly as we are, to be obedient to the King of Kings. The point is this. There can be no separation of our justification and our sanctification this isn't we cannot separate our our the fact that we are justified in the lord and the fact that we are called to grow in christ we cannot separate them because christians are fruit bearing people there's no such thing as an unfruitful christian they don't exist we're fruit bearing people charles hodge great theologian of the 19th century said simply this if a man can live at peace with his sin he has no peace with God and it was Martin Luther who wrote so well on Christian freedom that said one thing and only one thing is necessary for Christian life for righteousness and for freedom that one thing is the most holy word of God the gospel of Jesus Christ so let's Fire into this passage. We'll start here, verses 15 to 16. What then are we to sin? Because we are not under the law, but under grace by no means. Do you know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient servants, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. We can try and convince ourselves any way we like, but the Bible is exceptionally clear that there are two masters. We either serve sin or we serve Christ. There is no middle ground. There is no, there is no Switzerland. There is no neutral ground. There is no in-betweens. There is no substitutes. We serve Christ or we serve sin. And once we realize this, and as we come to this reality that, that of, of, of this point of, okay, whom do, do I obey? Who is my master then? we come to this point and either we obey sin or we obey God. Jesus tells us simply himself in Matthew 6:24 so famously no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The manifestation of sin that Jesus is talking about in Matthew 6 is money. You cannot serve them both. You can have one or you can have the other. You cannot have both. This is hard. Right, I get that. This is hard for us to wrestle with because as we look around us and we look at our friends, our family, our colleagues, those we love, our neighbors that don't know the Lord Jesus, we don't sit there and go, ah, oh, they're evil. We don't sit there and think, ah, oh, be gone from me, evil one. We don't do that. Or maybe you just can't help but thinking this morning, who on earth is this guy standing up the front that's telling me I'm a servant of sin? I've just walked in here. Who on earth does he think he is? I think Billy Graham is really helpful here. I think he's really, really helpful here. Christians don't have a monopoly on goodness. Believers and non-believers alike can be kind and thoughtful and dedicated helping others. God has put something in himself, something of himself in each of us, because of course we are all made in the image of God. We each have the capacity to do good. But the Bible tells us something else that's very important. No matter how good we are, we are still sinners. And we still fall short of God's standard, which is perfection. And that's why we need Christ, because only he can forgive us and change our hearts within that's the end of your Billy Graham quote. It's good. I'm not sitting here, standing here, trying to say that it is not possible for anybody out with the Lord Jesus to do good. I'm not saying that. I don't think Paul is, in, is saying that. But there is a recognition, friends, that there are two masters and we can only serve one we realize, of course, that it is by God's grace and his grace only that we know and love and trust and believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, knowing full well that there is nothing that we can do to save ourselves. And now, through that faith, we serve obedience, which leads to righteousness because no one can have two masters. Are you thankful for that today? Are you thankful that if you know and love Jesus, you do not have two masters? That your master is the king of kings. Your master is the one who has defeated death once and for all. So let's move then to verse 17 and the fact that we have been set free. But thanks be to God that I absolutely love the beginning of verse 19. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. It's nice of him. It's good of him. It's certainly helpful. And I wonder, this is complex enough for us to break down. So I wonder if he didn't put it in human terms for us, what on earth we would be reading in front of us, things that our human minds would certainly struggle to understand. Paul here is giving thanks. He's giving thanks to God that we are no longer slaves to sin. And so he should. What an unbelievable truth to proclaim. I am not a slave to sin. I am a slave to Christ. Hallelujah. It's absolutely glorious. And his prayer of thanksgiving for those that are in Rome and all who make up the church is that we are no longer slaves to sin. Paul knows that because we have to serve either sin or Christ, when we are set free from sin, then we begin to serve Christ. Uh, Verse 18 gives us really clearly the order in which this happens. And having been set free from sin, that was done by Jesus at the cross, have become slaves of righteousness. So really clearly here, it is not your righteousness that has set you free. There is nothing of my doing, nothing of your doing, nothing of my good works or your good works, as limited as they will be, that has set us free. But Jesus at Calvary has set us free. And just as we were willing participants and loved by the old master and did Satan's work, now we can willingly love and obey our new master, Jesus Christ. What he's saying here is it is impossible for someone to come to know Jesus and not be different. want to notice something as well that's really, really important in verse 17. You became obedient from the heart. I think this is really important for our assurances. We look for those assurances of who am I? Does the Lord love me? Do I know the Lord? He's not saying that we went from sinning to doing acceptable deeds and these now outward appearances are proof. But again, the order here is really important. You've been set free. You're slaves of righteousness and we have become obedient from the heart. We aren't Pharisees. This isn't about looking good or looking holy or looking righteous. This isn't about an act. This isn't about what can I do today or tomorrow when I will be with church people to make myself look holy. But this is about getting our hearts right with God and our whole lives flowing from the abundance of grace that he has poured upon us. God works his salvation in the innermost part of our beings. And through that grace provided by his son at the cross, God changes our very nature when we trust in him. A person whose heart has not been changed hasn't been saved. You see the intertwining here of the two, that our obedience and our love and our fruitfulness comes from the fact that we are set free. So we move then to verse twenty to twenty-two. For when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin, have become slaves to God, the fruit that you get leads to sanctification, and it ends and its end, eternal life. This has got incredibly personal here. This is the finger pointing at us as individuals. This is making us stand before God for a total reality check. On judgment day, friends, there will be nobody standing beside us. There will be nobody, well, there will be nobody for us to point a finger at. There will be Nobody for us to say, yeah, yeah, but it is us as individuals before our Maker. Where do I stand before God? Friends, where do you stand before God? There are two answers. Are you a slave to sin or a slave to him? We have this visual of the courtroom, the dock, the one standing on trial, sentenced. That's the image that I think Paul wants us to see here. And as that hammer strikes down, if we do not know and love Jesus, that judgment is guilty. And the fruit of that guiltiness is death. But, friends, this is why the Great Commission is so unbelievably important. Because that should make us uncomfortable. As people that know Jesus, we don't sit here putting our arms behind our head thinking, phew, thank goodness that's not me. But what this should do is this should increase our burden for the lost. This should increase our burden for our friends and our family and our neighbours and our colleagues and those that we love. And do you know what? Even those that we don't love and those that we don't even know. This should increase our burden for them because we want to see we want to see a people. We want to see a Scotland that knows and loves Jesus. I'm going to put an image up on the screen that I think is helpful for us. Really simple. Hopefully you can see that. Fabulous. These are words we've mentioned in the last couple of weeks. These two images are really helpful for us. And I think they sum up really well this section of Romans chapter 6. Simply, we are justified at the point of salvation. The work of Jesus at the cross has saved us once and for all. The once and for all sacrifice. We are his. We will never be taken from his hands. We are sanctified as we live fruitful lives of obedient servants that yes mess up but return to the cross for forgiveness time and time again and after we are justified and sanctified one day we will be glorified when we are no longer physically present here on earth when we are with our savior we reap the fruit of our freedom from sin and that is eternal life with Jesus if you flip to the next slide these are really helpful Really, really helpful definitions. Um, if you want to find these, quickanswers.com, are really good, simple Christian apologetics websites. Uh, Quick hyphen answer.com. Uh, their desire is simply to, to do this, to make doctrine and questions about the Christian faith as simple as possible. But that's what we're looking at, and this helps us understand really clearly Romans 6. Romans 5 was about the past. That was about our security and our certainty. And Romans 6 now points us here to, well, the beginning of this chapter points us to the present, and where we are right now points us to the future. So we move to finish, to the final verse, to the most amazing of conclusions For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death. Workers receive a wage. The wages of sin is death. But. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Grace is free. And that was the stumbling block. That was the stumbling block at the beginning of Romans 6 and verse 15. That was the stumbling block for free as people say grace is free, full stop, and drew their own conclusions. Salvation is free, serving Jesus is not as simply as I can possibly put it this verse should bring us such comfort it should bring us such assurance it should bring us such joy that because of the work of our Lord Jesus eternal life with him is ours so pulling that in. Jesus is the only way from sin into righteousness. Jesus is the only way. I hope you know that and if you don't know that I'm going to invite you shortly to consider that. Acts 4, two, And there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. A couple of things just to apply this. These first 14 verses of Romans 6 have taught us and shown us that because, we died with, because Christ died, we died with him. Because he rose, we rose with him in his new creations in the resurrected life. We have become slaves to righteousness. We have gone to do the Lord's, Bidding. Therefore, we should surrender everything to Him. Our fallenness, our humanness, everything that we are, every aspect of our life, we give to Him in surrender because we are His. And in the second half, we have this different analogy of from baptism to slaves of sin. And recognizing that salvation for us is a call, is a call from sin to holiness. And if there's anything I want you to remember from the last couple of weeks in this, it is simply this, friends, take your freedom seriously and let us together as a community of his people take up his call to holiness. This was a radical thing to do in first century Rome. It is an exceptionally radical thing to do in 21st century Scotland. It is a radical call to take up a cross and follow Jesus. The salvation is free, but we must count the cost. You see, Jesus isn't looking for us to have him as an addition, to have him as an addition to our lifestyle, to our sin, to the the nice part of our lives that we pull out on a Sunday. But he's calling men and women and children to die and rise again. He's calling us to say no to that master and yes to Jesus' master. You see, grace covers sin, but it never condones it. Never, ever, ever. More than that, grace transforms us. You see, when Martin Luther would frequently speak of grace, he would always talk about how grace had cost him his life. He would always talk about how for him it meant core convictions, it meant following through, it meant doing what he knew by God and the Scriptures was right. And he always spoke of how it cost him his life. Do you know what's interesting? If you go and read Romans 7, it tells us that there's still a battle going on. It tells us that we're still in the midst of it. Romans 8 tells us how to win it and the assurances we need for the way. But here we find simply, friends, we are free from sin. Let us obey the master. So I want to ask you, if you have never come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have never received him as your Lord and Savior, You need to know that you are not free from your sin. And as hard as it is to say, it will kill you. But Jesus offers you his freedom. And I promise you it will give you life. Despite circumstance and difficulty and trial of this life, it will bring you life both here and in eternity. And you need to know that God in human flesh died and rose again for you. But also for those of us who know and love the Lord Jesus, I want us to take this as an opportunity to give thanks for the freedom that he has given us. To tell him that we're thankful that we don't have to sin. To give him glory and praise that we have been delivered from the bondage and the tyranny of the old master. And that time and time again, we can come and ask for forgiveness. Because the old master has no claim on us now. And then as we do that. I want you to ask that the Lord would. Lead our ways. In holiness. That if we do not know fulfillment. That we would find fulfillment. First and foremost before anything else in our obedience. To God. So let's take a moment before we. Stand and sing. If you sense that it is right to receive, to know the Lord, I want you to ask him to be free from your sins. To say to him that you want to be his, to know him, that you love him. And that you too might know the eternal life that he brings. Friends, let's take a moment. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Father, help me to surrender every aspect of my life to you in all of its entirety. Help me, Lord, first before I am anything to anyone that first I may be a servant of the risen King. Lord, we so need you. We so need your spirit in us and with us. But we rejoice this morning, Lord, that you have set us free from death, that you have brought us into glorious light, and we rejoice that the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen.